Hello and welcome back to season three of the Making Team podcast. And honestly, I'm so excited to start the podcast. I've been working on it now since I think the beginning of January, so it's been quite a long time. Every Sunday, trying to get a different guests on. And yeah, I'm just really excited because I felt part of me was missing when I wasn't doing the podcast over the last lockdown. I took about six months apart and I feel like it's something which kind of was missing in my life. And yeah, excited to do the podcast because I'm joined by none other. Joe Frost, who a lot of people know as being Super Nanny. And honestly, I was just so grateful to be in this position because I've been watching on the screen when I was a kid or on TV to be in the situation now, which is just, I just feel like so surreal, this podcast, where it's been able to kind of give me these platforms to kind of interview these amazing guests and kind of share their experiences. And hopefully, I think with the podcast is always trying to bring as much value as I can to help the listeners, uh, you guys listening, to kind of resonate with it and hopefully inspire you and make you feel more confident. And I think on this podcast, we kind of talk about her experience with allergies because Joe Frost has got quite a few different allergies, but also from a parent's point of view as well. Obviously, a lot of time I'm talking from a young person's point of view, but I thought it was great to kind of get Joe Frost's kind of experience, how she kind of deals with her experiences and I know she's dealt with parents on the show before who kids have got allergies and and we kind of spoke about how our parents kind of brought us up as well with our allergies and it was just so fascinating honestly it was just so fascinating to kind of hear her experiences but we spoke about so many different topics on the on the podcast from allergy anxiety to kind of our experience dealing with flight attendants who don't take allergies seriously so yeah make sure to kind of tune in get yourself a cup of tea and let's get straight to the podcast could you do an introduction to yourself? Um, I am worldly known as the beloved super nanny. Um, I'm a, a woman who has spent my life's work helping families um, through different parenting challenges. Um, my experiences from newborns right the way through to teenagers and, you know, and, and helping really families Um, look at how they can create more harmony in their family. Um, I'm also a a family and child advocate. So those causes that are dear to my heart, um, I speak up on a a global platform to be able to help, you know. Um, Yeah, I think that's how people would know me publicly. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Obviously, like Super Nanny being kind of like the main one, obviously, I mean, the success of that, which we'll kind of get to later on. But yeah, I think it's amazing, obviously, to kind of get you on the podcast today, because I know we we started speaking, it's actually back in 2018 now, so it feels like a lifetime ago when we kind of got speaking on Twitter. <laughs> and um, I, mem- I remember reaching out to you, because I remember, I think at the time, I was I was doing um, a campaign about how to kind of raise awareness about how to use the art injector. Um, but I know you was like, let's let's put in a phone call, let's have a, have a quick chat about the campaign, and obviously about your allergies. Um, and we got onto the topic of Valentine's and you actually really inspired me on this phone call. I've never kind of mentioned it to you, but you inspired me because you're like, you need to do something for Valentine's, Dan. You need to do something for Valentine's, create some content around it. And I remember after the phone call, I went to five, six different bars in um, Clapham <laughs> trying to find a venue where I could do a photo shoot to raise awareness about how to use the art injector. So yeah, thank you for um, inspiring me to kind of do that content for Valentine's. Well, it- you're more than welcome. I mean, if you think about it, though, right, Valentine's Day and romance and kissing and all of a sudden, you know, those who are Alexis, we just can't always be that spontaneous. You know what I mean? I know. It's it's an odd one, isn't it? Because you, you obviously you want to 
kind of speak up about it. And I think we're definitely on the same page. You know, in the past, you've you've kind of spoke about often having a bit of a sense of humour about it, and 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 your algae is obviously very very serious. But you can talk about it in a way which hopefully you can have a bit of humour and make a bit of a giggle about it and bring it up in conversation. Well, I think it's the awareness. You know, we don't want to. Um you know, undermine any of the medical literature that we read that, you know, supports and um, educates us around anaphylaxis. But at the same point, um, we have to recognise how do we, you know, bring awareness, you know, and, and how do we make it, for the want of a better word, not sexy, but, you know, how do we make it relatable to, to young teenagers so that they understand that, this is about just owning the medical condition that you have and empowering yourself to be up to speed, to be educated, to protect yourself and to um, educate those that do not know. Because uh, for those that have, you know, already been in this position where they're taking the reins themselves as young adults, they recognize that it's one thing to keep yourself up to speed with what's happening in the world of anaphylaxis. But also the amount of work that we need to do in having a voice to educate so many others that are that are not clued up that are not savvy you know to the information that we may have and you've only got to look at the parallels between America and the UK and you know the regulations and the good work that's being done by other charitable organizations you know to make supermarkets and restaurants and airlines and you know those of, of public uh, domain uh, certainly more educated and aware and I think that does come you know more yeah. compassion and changing laws come from education and people knowing more. Absolutely and you kind of discussed America there when when you moved to America was, was that down to the kind of success of the show and I, this is a kind of double bar question and I was kind of asked as well like how have, have obviously with allergies in America are they more compassionate are they more understanding in the UK I think it'd be kind of really interesting to kind of get your insight on that uh, there's a lot of people doing some good work in America to make uh, Americans more informed and educated about anaphylaxis if you look at fact and fair um, you know they work yeah. extremely hard with the education um, I would say that there's less compassion um, around anaphylaxis um, because there is a, you know, there's a need to continue to educate. There's a need yeah. to keep those informed um, so that they are more compassionate. But I certainly, I mean, I had the opportunity to come to America 16 years. I've been here, yeah, I've been here just over 16 years now. Amazing. Um, helping families. And the opportunity brought me here um, because of doing the super nanny in the UK. So I spent years, you know, seven, eight years going back and forth from America yeah. to the UK, back and forth, back and forth, you know, helping families and doing different uh, seasons and series for uh, both uh, broadcasts for both networks. And at the time that was Channel 4 and um, ABC. And it was quite interesting to compare the two and to look at the progression of anaphylaxis and the education that had been given to the public. And I think people are more aware now because of American politics um, that really America 
is 50 countries. You know, it's supposed to be a united America, but it's governed by different senators and mayors and yeah. different laws um, in each state. And so each state, one can be more progressive than the other in their understanding, compassion and education for anaphylaxis. But I certainly, um, I had a rough, you know, I did it, but I had a rough journey. I mean, I spent probably 90% educating um, those around me about anaphylaxis. It was important in America that my crew understood the severity of it. So there had to be a lot of, um, you know, there had to be a lot of rules laid down with protecting me, you know, like a sound man, for example, you know, couldn't eat nuts or a Thai lunch, you know, um, and we couldn't have that on set because obviously, you know, I was there. So that would all have to be sort of smoothed out um, before I arrived and crew would need to know. And the families, for example, I mean, we if we think we love peanut butter and jelly, my God, the Americans is it a massive like, thing in America? <laughs> yeah, like they love you know all those peanut farms, like they love their peanut spreads, like and you know it was quite interesting. You know, you'd go into a family, you know, sixteen years ago and say, yeah. um, you're gonna have to just put all of your peanut butter in a box and place it into the gap. Are they, are they quite understanding when, do you find like some parents sometimes, if they've obviously not kind of dealt with some with an allergy before, maybe they're just not as understanding when you kind of come in and be like, oh, you can't have peanut butter around because I'm severely allergic to it. Um, they, some of them didn't know. So they were like, why? And then we explained. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then once yeah. they knew they were totally on board. Um, there was never ever, n- not once did I ever get a family that were resistant to, um, you know, not buying or not giving or storing away whilst I was there, never, ever. They were, once they knew, but they just, some of, some of them just didn't know, you know, they just weren't educated. Yeah. To, oh, does that exist? My God, that's really severe. Like, you know, I never knew that even, that that, that was even a thing. Um, so, you know, it was, it was good to give them the opportunity. Um, some of the kids, bless them, they would cry. Some of the like really young ones be like, mommy, oh. I want a peanut butter and jelly. Yes, but Jojo, you know, Jojo has anaphylaxis. What's that? And I think it was really important because of movies and because of the way movies had depicted um, allergies. You yeah. know, so if you think about certain movies, when they show somebody having anaphylaxis, they would first give them Benadryl. They would give them like, you know, an antihistamine. And that was the go-to, which obviously we know is incorrect, right? Yeah. Um, so there was this, you know, there was this real moment when I recognized that people needed to know the difference between allergies and seasonal allergies and having allergies to dogs and life-threatening allergies of anaphylaxis. And There's exactly so much- what that meant and what we needed to carry. Yeah, there's so much kind of educational around that. I've seen before movies where people like stabbing the auto injector into the heart, which is just like, it's so mind boggling because I think if I have a allergic reaction, the last thing I want is someone to administer it kind of incorrectly. I was going to say that's all part of the, you know, that's all part of the education. But the yeah. airlines, you know, in America, um, there were certain airlines I could fly and there were certain ones I just couldn't. And I had an, 
I had an awful experience, an awful experience with American Airlines. I was going to discuss that with you, actually. I was, do- I was doing my, my research and um, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I think I had a really bad <laughs> experience with American Airlines as well. So I think it'd be great to kind of find out how they kind of um, kind of manage your allergies and kind of talk a bit about like travel and how you kind of deal with that as well. Well, diligence, you know, when you travel, you have to be diligent. You have to check, check, and then check again, and then check again, you know. So at every port station, there is a check because, you know, the, the flight pirates, as they call themselves, operate very differently. So if you think about all the stations, right, so from ringing up somebody and booking a flight and then stipulating you have an allergy and then stipulating on top of that, any different uh, food regulations. And so most of us know to bring our own food, right? Yeah. If you're going to be on a flight. Yeah, absolutely. I do that, yeah. Right? But then once you've done that, you then have to tell the ground staff and crew about your anaphylaxis all over again. And then you have to make sure it's in the system. And sometimes it's just not in the system, even though you have booked a flight beforehand and they've told you they put it in the system. And then you give your ticket and you walk onto the plane and then you have to make sure that the head crew member, flight attendants understand um, again what um, your medical condition is. And you mentioned anaphylaxis and you almost have to read between the lines because sometimes I've come across flight attendants that have said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they yes you and you realise that they don't actually know what anaphylaxis means and they don't want to say because you know that they think that they're going to feel stupid by asking. And so I now just alleviate all flight attendants and say, oh, I have anaphylaxis. I just want to explain what that is. And so I do the work and explain what that is because it's about safety. There's the understanding And on top of that, Dan, if you get met by a flight attendant that throws out straight away, well, it's not policy and we haven't been told. That's You then have have to go to, they then tell you, well, it's the captain's decision. So then you say, well, may I please speak to the captain? And so in America, the the discrepancy between what's policy and written under their policy guidelines and the reality of what happens on these airlines are two different cattle of fish. They really are. And so, you know, you can bring up all you want about, well, this is your policy. And if you have a flight attendant that's power tripping or doesn't want to, straight away doesn't want to accommodate, you then have to be... I'm going to use the word smart in how you disarm somebody who's defensive about the lack of knowledge they have and bring to their attention that it's the importance of everybody's health and safety on this, on this airline for this particular flight. And what can they do to help you? And it's done in a way that's very soft and conversational, but assertive in your diligence because you understand that there is no room for error here. Like there's no room for it. And um, it has caused many 
um, circumstance that have, you know, that have been absolutely um, appalling and, and shocking and very sad for many families who then had to, you know, uh, be told to catch another flight until this is all organised. Um, I had one particular flight attendant who was who was just not prepared to understand that she had this really, whether it was policy or not, she had this, you know, responsibility to keep everybody safe and what was being asked of her yeah. um, would really not have hindered anybody. So, for example, in my case, um, I was sitting up in the first class area that was serving nuts and there wasn't many people in the first class cabin. And I asked if it would be okay. I said, do you mind if I asked the passengers here if they would kindly refrain? And she told me, uh, no, you are not allowed to speak to anybody in this cabin. And if you do, I will have security remove you. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, it was... It was a simple request. And it, it, was shocking to the, it was shocking to the point that I was on my way to help a family that was expecting me that morning, like the next morning I was on an evening flight, I gave my ticket to the last person in the last row at the back of the cabin so that I could sit there with a fan on me and a scarf wrapped around my neck um, because they informed me that nobody ate nuts, um, any type of nuts in the back of the cabin. And she looked at me and said, well, are you prepared to give up your first class ticket? Because if you are, then you can sit right at the back. And I said, yes. And I think she thought I was going to say no. Say no, yeah. And it's, I said, yes, it was about safety. And it was just it, difficult and it wasn't necessary, Dan. And Yeah, you know. it's so interesting you mentioned that. And I think it was really interesting how you discussed how you kind of handle it in a very conversational way. And I think that's so important. Um when someone is quite defensive or, you know what I mean, you, you kind of got to educate them in a way which hopefully they're going to understand. But I had the same issue on American Airlines where they basically refused to do the announcement and they're waving the policy in my face saying, we don't have to do it, we don't have to do it. Um, and I got quite uh, quite angry, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm asking you for a really simple request just to do an announcement, just to make the other passengers aware. And they're saying, well, you need to go to all the different cabins and make everyone aware on the plane that you've got a nut allergy. So basically, by the time I kind of, you know, when the seat light went off and you run to the toilet, um, the woman was there at the back of the plane. And I kind of said to her, um, I was like, imagine if it's like, that's your kid and, and you're refusing to do such a simple announcement if your kid had, had an allergy. And she just kind of stormed off. And um, it was, yeah, it was... It was, it was you know, the, the, the go-to is, it's not policy, I don't have to. Well... That's like me. That's like somebody saying to me, "Well, that's not your child, but it looks like the child is about to run into the road and get hit by a car." And you say, "Oh well, it's not my child. It's not my concern." Like yes. I think, I think it's all our concern, you know, to keep everybody safe. Look, we're living in that now, Dan. We are living in a world right now where we understand that our actions and the responsibility that we take for ourselves will keep others safe. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And to think that, you know, to think that there are many, too many, that don't care about the fact that it's everybody's concern to keep everybody's yeah. safety. Um, again, 
brings us to a space of understanding. We just need to bring more awareness, more education. It's being done through, you know, online podcasts, you know, seminars, virtual, you know, events that happen within the allergy community. And I think that's incredibly important to continue doing because, you know, education um, allows those to understand and have more compassion Hence the understanding then of changing policy and law, you know, and that's, you know, it's what we need. It's what we need. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing now, obviously, I feel I've, I've definitely seen a shift over the last like two years of like more people now starting allergy blogs, more young people speaking up about it and sharing their experiences, which I think is absolutely amazing, which is, which is so amazing. Cause I remember when I started, there wasn't many young people could, could kind of like look up to. It was a lot of it was kind of, catered towards parents which is amazing but being kind well, it's, of it's young... great it's you know that's the wonderful thing about social media dan is that you know for all those young adults now you know i mean look you think about you know maybe them. the people that are listening think about the people that are listening to your podcast anywhere maybe like you know all different ages but you know those young adults that are in their 20s and early 30s like they now have social media at their fingertips to really like empower other young adults about carrying their auto injectors and, you know, using their voice. Like that's what social media has given us, every, all of us, a platform, you know, to talk. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I think like now you don't necessarily have to be um, like a, a celebrity really to have a voice to make a difference, you know, I think it's I think I think it's amazing. And I think what's amazing with yourself, Joe, is obviously you've used your platform to 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 make a difference. And, and I think that is, is so important because you do get a lot of people with these massive following and then you kind of look at their Instagram feed or whatever, and, and it's just like what what is it you kind of stand for? What is it you and, and it's a sh- it's a shame to see sometimes, you know, with the people with these massive audience which which aren't necessarily kind of using it for the for the better good. Um, I did really want to kind of talk to you about, obviously, it's a very strange world now. Obviously, like I said, it's a very kind of digital world. Obviously, back in 2014, when you did start Super Nanny, um, I don't think there was too much kind of social media at that time, but I think- In 2004, Danny, there wasn't much at all. Yeah, there's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm I'm too young, aren't I? Yeah, it was like nothing. It's like looking yeah. down. It's crazy. And um, it, what I've kind of seen is shifting like recently is um, is kids now obviously getting allergy anxiety, and I don't know if a lot of that does come through kind of social media and, and kind of reading about these stories, which people have kind of had that severe allergic reactions. When when kind of talking about yourself, have you, did you ever kind of experience allergy anxiety and if, how have you kind of dealt with that? Oh, I think I live with it comfortably every day. Yeah. I mean, how do you not? I mean, let's, it, let's, I'm a realist, let's be honest. Like, let's take a look at the reality, which is there are unpleasant and horrific cyberbullying for those who do have anaphylaxis. We have seen a lack of diligence with staff. Yeah. You know, think about all the snippets of the media um, news that you've heard from a lack of diligence of staff in nurseries or, you know, on airlines, as we were talking about earlier, or in school. Um, and it's, again, it's different in the UK to America with respects to those different laws and policies, like, yeah. for example, 
you know, just trying to get in America nurses to administer epinephrine pens. You know, if a kid is going into an anaphylaxis, it's different by a state, you know, uh, which to me is, you know, it's ludicrous. Like, you know, one should know how to administer and literally do so. I mean, you're not going to stand there, you know, if it's the yeah, child going into himself, anaphylactic yeah. shock and say, oh, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I legally can't do that. Like, it's to me, crazy, that's, yeah. yeah, it's insane, you know. But, you know, we've got the bullying that's happening and the anxiety um, again, I think just comes from wanting the control, you know, the anxiety comes from, uh, the, the control of wanting to make sure everything is going to be safe. It's again, I think a correlation of wanting to create that safe bubble for yourself. But I also think because I help families immensely in this circumstance is when parents, um, you know, when parents, have more education they can make decisions for their young that help control the environment as much as they possibly can and the fear comes that that anxiety comes when they're fearful the mindset is fearful the attitude is fearful and that can be just as contagious for a young child right because they're not being empowered they are feeding off the fear of a parent's, um, you know, fear, right, of their children having this medical condition. And you can understand, you know, some of that. And also the fact that they have no control. So once your teenager is out and about and doing stuff themselves, the fear is, are they going to make, you know, a decision that is going to cost them their life? And it's not having that control. And I think that's part of any parent you know, who now has a teenager that's going to be out there and, you know. Out and about, yeah, because they kind of take on that res- take on that responsibility as well. And I think you, you spoke about, um, which I saw last year, where you kind of talked a bit about kind of your parents, your upbringing, and you kind of mentioned that obviously your parents, like even though you got an allergy, it was never kind of going to define you or stop you reaching amazing heights. Um, and I think exactly the same with, with the way I kind of got brought up as well. I think my parents always didn't make like a massive fuss around me and I always felt very confident to kind of speak up about it and I think what's amazing was um on Super Nanny um where you worked with young Ava and kind of had one-on-one time so she can conquer her anxiety could we talk a little about that on the podcast yeah that was just so oh it was such amazing, a lovely yeah. there was such a lovely family and you know this mother was so up to speed with um you know, food and and dietary, you know, circumstances around her family, obviously, and, you know, empowering others in her community um, with making, um, you know, better choices and the restaurants that they go to. Um, But what I saw as a parent was it was very visible, the anxiety that she had um, around anaphylaxis. And Ava was, you know, a young, quiet, you know, a young, quiet girl, very cerebral, um, and she was definitely impacted by that anxiety that really was in the air of, of her home environment. And for me, I felt it was so important to give Ava the opportunity to evolve, to to use her voice, to feel empowered by owning owning the medical condition that she had and not see it as a hindrance but to see it as 
this is what she has. This is this is part of her life. And this is how you're going to navigate with your advocacy in being a champion for yourself first, because yeah. you can't champion for others unless you've been able to learn what that journey is for yourself. And so, you know, there was the opportunity to take Ava first and foremost, and she'd been used to her mum speaking for her all the time, that it wasn't so much the fact that she had to tell somebody about her medical condition. It was more the case that she felt, oh my God, now I've got to speak up for myself. And she felt shy. Um, and you could see that in the beginning um, that that upset her. But where there was less fuss made around it and med the medical condition became very practical and um, we didn't sort of, uh, you know, we were, we were nonchalant, but we were diligent at the same time in, you know, talking about how we go to restaurants, the things that we need to do for ourselves to keep ourselves safe, to make other people accountable as we are accountable for ourselves. You actually saw her get stronger. So, you know, to have somebody other than just her mum or her dad talk about, this is what we've got to do. This is what going to keep you safe. Because if we don't keep you safe, then this is what's going to happen. Um, it, the, the, the narrative changed. The mindset changed. It wasn't, this is how and what we're going to do so you don't die. This was, this is what we're going to do and how we move forward so that you have a prosperous life where you're thriving and learning to live alongside your anaphylaxis. And that was the change in the mindset for the whole family and which gave her the strength to speak up and then feel really good about doing that. Like, oh, okay. So when I do this, I feel safe. I feel in control. And you know what? I'm making everybody else in this restaurant accountable to what can they do. And if it's not safe, then we leave, you know? If anyone has listened to the Making Team podcast and it has made a difference or you've kind of resonated with it, if you could write me a review on iTunes, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. Obviously, kind of, um, like I said, making a feel empowered because I, I get like so many kind of parents reach out to myself and I think, think they see me on social media and they say oh yeah Dan's confident he speaks up about it and I kind of get a lot of parents kind of reaching out and it's a tricky one sometimes because I think um but Dan, but Dan you can't teach a kid to do that unless you educate them so yeah. you know as soon as your child gets to an age seven eight nine like you've got to start giving them the literature as well you've got to start letting them understand themselves the medical yeah. condition they have and then you have to not disable so if you're speaking up for your kid all the time and you're not allowing your kid to read what they want off the menu or to look at the menu or to speak up for themselves or to um preset scenarios so for example if you're going to birthday parties or you're going to a function what's all the pre-work that can be done beforehand so that it becomes a smoother and enjoyable experience to eliminate some of that anxiety um, that you're going to have. And I, I think that's really important, the preparation of that. Yeah, no, I think that's like so interesting to kind of definitely get your insight on that as well. Cause sometimes I always feel a bit like on the spot sometimes. I think what I've actually done in the past, which I think has helped, sometimes I send them like a, like a little voice note to say that like you, you keep, you're not gonna be defined by allergy and you're gonna feel empowered. You can still go on holidays with your friends and live a normal life. and um, I've, I've done that for a few parents in the past year. Yeah. yeah, like we're not defined by diabetes or anaphylaxis or, 
you know, whatever your condition is, like it's your medical condition, but you're not defined by it. You have it. You live life working alongside the fact that you have, you know, ADHD or, you know, whatever, whatever the ailment is, but it doesn't define who you are. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like I've always said to like everyone, like you're not defined by RG. It's just part. It's like part of me, but I, I don't. I don't think it ever defines me in any way. Still live a very normal life and go on holidays with friends and eat out at nice restaurants when I can afford it. I think it's a good tip for parents to to think, you know, to to say to their to their young adults as well that are living at home, like, what can you do with anaphylaxis? Like, what can you do? Because it was a turning point for me to be able to say, well, let me tell you what I've done. And I have this, this, you know, medical condition, but let me tell you what I have done. Like, what can you do? You can still go on holiday. You can still eat out. You can still go to birthday parties. You can still have a relationship. You can still have friends. You can still like, you know, it doesn't shut you down. You just have to make sure that you continue it's not a piece of ed- education that you s- learn about and then stop. Like you have to keep learning about anaphylaxis. You have to keep finding and seeking out all the different apps and um, available um, tools um, that allow you to navigate and make you know this journey smoother for you and less stressful, which then hence alleviates uh, some of that anxiety, you know. And I think it's amazing the work you're doing. Obviously, you're kind of global ambassador, obviously an ambassador for the anaphylactic campaign and one of the patrons. So I think that's I think that's how I first kind of found out you've got an allergy because it's quite interesting sometimes. You don't see many kind of celebrities kind of speaking up about it. And it's only through like the odd like article you might read here and there. Um, was that was that a conscious decision for you? Do you feel like you wanted to speak up about it to, to help other people in the same situation, because you don't kind of see many celebrities kind of speaking up about their allergies. Um, well, I didn't make that decision because there weren't a lot. Like for me, it was a no-brainer. Like yeah. it totally was a no-brainer for me. You know, especially like living, living every day with with anaphylaxis, and so having the experience of just living my life and you know, being old enough to have the experience of, of, you know, knowing what that was like when I was, you know, in my primary years and then in my teenage years and then my young adult years, you know, um, it was important for me to use my voice in being able to support families and young adults um, to take this conversation to a space that normalised it and not make it taboo. And the more that we spoke about it, the more I encouraged teenagers to become more aware and to be accountable for their own, you know, medical condition and to, you know, bring more awareness and education. And it normalized the conversation. And I think that's what's important because to normalize it and put it into mainstream um, allows us to all learn. And we need, you know, we, it's great that we have, a community that talk out about anaphylaxis, but we need Absolutely. champions that don't have it, you know, to be yeah. able to speak about it as well. So uh, for me, it was, you know, I, I knew it wasn't because others weren't. And I don't really know why others haven't spoken up about it. I don't know if they just felt it was personal or maybe they feared being in the public eye that yeah. um, it would I be dangerous. That, yeah. yeah, that it would be dangerous. I mean, I can tell you that, Wherever I travel, 
there is always a family somewhere that wants to bring like a plate of biscuits or cookies or homemade cake, you know, to say yeah. thank you for helping a family. And I thank them very much and say, oh, thank you. I'm anaphylaxis, so I won't, you know, I won't um, chance it, but I'll give it to the crew, you know, what's in it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people have come up and said, you know, oh, I just want to let you know I made it and this is the ingredients. But even still, thank you very much, you know, um, and, you know, the, the crew will get to enjoy it, you know, but um, you have to take responsibility. But, yeah, you, know, I can't yeah. take, you know, I can't take the credit for it, you know, Dan, for when I was younger. I mean, my mum and dad were, they were just amazing. I mean, God, they were amazing. As you know, talking about them choked me up, you know, it made me, it made me cry when I started to think about it in interview. Yeah, I think that's amazing because I think I think with my parents as well, they've always like said they've always instilled that kind of confidence to kind of speak up about it. And I think when I kind of saw that interview with you, I kind of really kind of like resonated with it. Do you think so? From a young age, how old was you when you got diagnosed with your peanut and shellfish algae? Um, I was a toddler, so I, I want to say I was around five. I want to say I was around, yeah, I was around, I was young and it was by default. It was by default because I have um, half of my family's Mediterranean. So we cook, (laughs) you know, (laughs) mum, you know, my mum passed away when I was young, but, you know, great cook, um, enjoyed Mediterranean food. So I learned by default, um, um, you know, by eating um, you know, by eating nuts, you know, I'm also allergic to um, anaphylaxis to shellfish again, yeah. by default, you know, even at that like, kind of young age and even like your teen years, would you always say you felt like quite confident speaking up about your algae um, or was that kind of over time you kind of built that confidence up? I think I became more confident the more practice I had, but I certainly wasn't afraid to own what I had. So I was not afraid to tell anybody that I had anaphylaxis, that I had life-threatening allergies. Um, I became more confident and well-versed in um, sort of asking the questions when I felt uncomfortable um, and that got better. So, you know, I would be put in positions where people would ask questions and make me feel uncomfortable, you know, and I learned to overcome that feeling and thought, well, that's, they've made me feel uncomfortable for the lack of what they know. And actually that's not, not, that's not okay. And I just kind of batted the ball back into their court, you know, (laughs) and, and and recognize actually it's not, this is, this is not my, Oh, you know, yeah. they've made me feel bad. And I think a lot of people, I think there's a lot of teenagers out there and young adults who they get to that first hurdle and somebody says, well, you know, well, didn't you look? Well, we don't know, actually. And they leave it like that and make those young adults feel really uncomfortable. Whereas in that circumstance, when you get, well, I don't know, I then turn around and say, well, it'd be really helpful if you could find out for us, you know, would would it help if maybe I spoke to the manager or perhaps maybe one of the kitchen staff could come out and help me? And at that moment, you know that you've empowered yourself to go beyond the uncomfortable feeling somebody has made you feel because yeah. they don't know. You know, and I don't know, it's not an acceptable answer, you know? 
I think that's so important. I remember doing an Instagram story, um, like a poll a few years ago now. And, and I basically asked my audience, it's like, do you feel like you're being fussy when you speak about your allergy? And I think it was massive. It was something like 70% felt like people thought there was being fussy when they brought up their allergy, which is, it's just crazy to think that's how they, the, the, and, and, I, and I think like you said, it's so important to feel like, you know what, I'm not being fussy. This is my life at risk here. And like I said, be really assertive. It's true, but I also think it was unfair for the allergy community because uh, we know now as well that so many other food fads came into play. So we know that, you know, on the social media, we were then seeing about different diet fads and food plans and, and, you know, gluten free and then, oh, let's just eat this way. And so I think a lot of the allergy community felt like, oh my God, now I'm going to actually have to go in and go, um, by the way, I've got anaphylaxis. Um, and I would say it's, it, you know, we can't afford to be unapologetic, you know, I'm unapologetic about it. I really am. It's like, yeah you know, this is where we're at. But again, I understand for, for some, um, it's a process and not everybody's outspoken. And I think there's a way in how we, I think there's a way in how we talk about that. I think, you know, we're coming from a place of conversation, a place of understanding that not everybody knows we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be, um, you know, upset that not everybody knows, um, you know, because that's just life and we need to educate more. Um, and I think as you just get older, you become, you become more confident. So that's why it's so important that there are podcasts, that there are online information, that parents do start this very young because, you know, you want your teenagers in a space where if you're somewhere and you're unsure that you're not going to go along with it because of peer pressure, and then that could endanger your life, you know, and don't get me wrong, Dan. I've, I've got more lives than a cat because, you know, I've gone into anaphylactic shock. You know, I've had, I've had those circumstances where I did trust and, you know, um, it it wasn't good, you know, and I ended up in hospital. So you've really got to take the ball by the horns and you've really got to understand that, you know, your responsibility and the part you play in this is equally as important, you know, to keep yourself safe for moments where, you just think, mm, I just doubt in that. My gut is telling me I'm not too sure. And so I'm not going to chance it, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's such an interesting point. I was actually going to kind of finish it on and kind of go in with that gut feeling because I've always kind of spoke very openly about if you feel like they don't take your allergies seriously, just don't eat there whatsoever. And like, you've always got to put yourself first and like, don't, don't be worried of walking out of a restaurant, even if you've ordered something, you don't think they're going to take it serious. But I think, it, like you said, it's so important to kind of go with that gut feeling. But here's what you can do. You know, like, nine out of ten, unless it's just something off the charts, you kind of know where you're going to be eating, right? Like, you know what's in your area. And yeah. if you're going to go down into London for the weekend or you're going to go away somewhere for a weekend, you think to yourself, oh, yeah, you know, I might want to try a few of those places. Like there's nothing stopping you now in looking at the menu online earlier and speaking to somebody beforehand. Like if I now have to do, you know, if I'm doing a meeting somewhere in a restaurant, like I'll ring the restaurant up beforehand and say, oh, I just want to let you know. And, you know, what would be safe? And I take a look at the menu. Um, If I'm going to, um, 
Like if I'm going to a gathering, I'll speak to the host. So I'll speak to the person, find out what's there. You know, like my husband knows that Thai dishes are off the menu unless I'm away. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> avoid it. Yeah. Know, like, just, there's just certain things. And I, I think that's, you know, I think all of all of those precautions and preparations that one makes just it's about reducing the anxiety so that you're always in a space where you don't feel you're backed into a corner you can always say no you can always yeah. say no thank you you can always ask the question again and if your gut says mm, this is not ringing right then you trust that and you do not even it's not just your gut but it's what you're being shown as well and what the facts are in front of you and you do not ever risk it you're like, you just, I've, you know, you don't risk it. And yet it's hard to say because, you know, you're at that age where, you know, young adults and teenagers, you know, out, yeah. they do have a higher risk assessment, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think the food gov recently did a campaign, which came out a few weeks ago where they're getting people to kind of make sure to kind of ring up the restaurant or ring up the takeaway place um, when you do place an order. Cause I think, I think sometimes I'm always worried if, if someone relies on what they see online and they don't ring up the restaurant and have that dialogue then there's always a risk of of having that allergic reaction so I've always been a massive advocate is always ring up or always speak up and start that dialogue because I'm scared of teenagers and it worries me quite a bit that people can rely on what they see on screen and then not start that dialogue with the the kind of staff member so I think it's so important that they do always kind of start that conversation. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's important that there are several avenues, you know, like you see stuff on screen, but the truth of the matter is, you know, people say to us, well, you're not very trusting. Well, until we see the world more compassionate, until we see, you know, more um, changes, you know, until we see staff come up to us with an awareness, hi, you know, I'm, I'll be serving your table today. Do any of you have anaphylaxis or allergies like that would be a lovely welcome right that somebody's yeah. already been trained so we need to see restaurants train their staff we need to see even even um supermarkets like of late i went into my local supermarket and said to them do you know that there are people that have um allergies to fish separately to crustacean and shellfish and yet you put the fish close to no. the shellfish <laughs> right which now. means now yeah. they can't eat the fish because it's next to the king prawns you know and it, it made him think the manager and um he changed it all around in um in his supermarket and they've done that as a president now for the rest of their chain so amazing, that. you know just it's just little things joe honestly it's been amazing to have you on the podcast obviously we've been speaking now for a few years um on twitter and it's honestly it's been so insightful to kind of get your experience about how you kind of manage it on airlines because that, that was actually a really kind of eye-opener for me because obviously we've experienced very kind of similar experience of how you kind of dealt with it which is really interesting and obviously allergy anxiety with with kids and how they can be feel more empowered to speak up about their allergies so yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast to kind of share your experience and i'm really grateful and i just want to say to all of you know those young adults out there like flossing it out doing their thing like you know what you can put your auto injector your EpiPens in your sexy bag and still look good so yeah absolutely to take them out carry them with you so important always carry two um yeah everywhere you go like if you see me 
on a red carpet, know that that bag I'm clutching has yeah. my EpiPens in it. Yeah, <laughs> I've been making sure to shout, shout you over next time I see you on the red carpet. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the podcast today. And I'm sure we'll stay in touch over there. Thanks yeah. for what you're doing. Cheers. No, thank you.